Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, you're tuned to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up in the studio this morning, we have to welcome Tim Sansom from Plants Management Australia. Hi, Tim. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Uh, you've driven all the way down from Castlemaine this morning. I have. I've come from the opposite direction than I normally <laughs> come. I normally come from south of Melbourne. Yep. I got in the car this morning at about half past five and it was zero degrees with ice on the windscreen. Oh, and I right. Was, I was thinking, I'm, I'm a bit of a weather watch. I don't know. I suppose most gardeners I are, think we are, are weather watchers. Um, we have to be. And I've been watching the, I mean, what a crazy week it's been for weather. It's, you know, it was, it was 35 degrees the other day in Castlemaine. Yeah, yes. And then it was a frost last night. Right. <laughs> so then we had thunderstorms. Yep. We had, yeah, crazy winds. It, it's, well, I suppose it's a challenge being a gardener sometimes. <laughs> and it made me think this morning, actually, that, you know, the, the garden centres have had tomato plants in the, in, since July, maybe. Yep. Uh, I was thinking, how are people going with those mm-hmm. plants they planted back in July? Yeah, because I haven't planted mine yet. And okay. I will be planting the next couple of weeks. But yes. Maybe this is something we could pick up later with the panel and with um, some talkback. So. Is mm. you know, yes. how are people going their tomatoes? Because my experience has been if you plant really early, they kind of just they sulk for ages and, and they get sick. They and then yeah. They, they, yeah, this quest for the pre-Christmas tomato <laughs> causes hassles. Either. <laughs> but let's maybe we'll talk about that later. It's <laughs> a sure. little reflection to start us off. For sure. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning. Welcome back, James Beatty, who's a horticulturist and, of course, owner <laughs> of Horticology Gardens by Design. Good morning, Hi. Pam, and good morning, listeners. Ah, and how have you been keeping? Yeah, good. I've been keeping pretty well with the crazy weather, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of watching watching my garden in particular over the, the crazy 35-plus day that we had recently thinking, oh, God, it's all going to fall apart, you know, that spring buff that you get and, you know, it's all going to go to hell. And thankfully yeah. not, yeah. It, it, it kind was, of felt like it went from winter to summer. Yeah, like, it, oh, we had one day of spring. In, there instantaneously, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was great. But, yeah. but all was very resilient and... Um, I was very, very happy with it, actually. Yeah. How much does the weather muck around with your your schedule of, of working in various gardens? I, tr- if it gets really blisteringly hot, and I would not have classed today's thirty, uh, this week's no, no, thirty-five as blisteringly bad. hot. I will kind of shift stuff around, or yeah. generally I'll just start really early. So crack of dawn, turn up at a client's place at six thirty-seven. They don't mind. Yeah. Promise <laughs> Morning. not to promise not to fire up any hedges or anything. <laughs> Until about eight, and there, yeah, that's that's pretty good. And then I'll try and finish early when the weather's when the weather's really hot. It's the yep. only way to do it, really. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, all all gardens holding up stoically at the moment. So yeah, it was it was good. It's yep. just it's a good sign that when you when you do your preparation and mm. choose your plants right, mm-hmm. you don't really need to fear the hot weather. And, and yeah. there's plenty of soil moisture at, at the moment. We haven't. Had I've been any seeing any quite a lot of people out there with their hose watering, yeah. and I've been wanting to be that kind of. Yeah. I hey. guess it's the yeah, yeah, you know. I guess when there's a water restriction on, people are very forthcoming with that kind of stuff. But when there's not, you, you don't want to be that guy walking past with your dog going, "Oh, you don't have to water." It's in my head too. Scratch under the surface; it's boggy under there. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. 
And uh, we also have to welcome for the first time in the studio Adrian Parsons, who's Managing Director of Helix Australia. Hi, Adrian. Good morning, Pam. Thanks for having us today. Oh, and thanks for getting up early on a Sunday morning. That's okay. <laughs> Great. Welcome to the club. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, we all do it. These guys only have to do it occasionally. I do it every yeah, week. Yeah, so they're no. the lucky ones. Pam wins. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Um, we have been lucky with the rainfall, though, this year, because everyone was predicting it was going to be a blisteringly hot summer. And mm. with all that rainfall we've had, it's really set us up <clears> in good stead, hasn't it? I think so, too. I think, I think. I mean, there are certainly parts of further afield up north I was out near Dolby um, a month or so ago and it is, you know, in inland Queensland. Some of our growers are up there and it's dire. Like mm, they're yep. running out of towns, running out of water. So, I mean, it's a huge continent and there's lots of variability across and fires around New South Wales as well. Yes. So, yeah, there's still lots going on. But here, we've had a pretty blessed season. It feels like it's been quite a soft spring too. Mm. We, I mean, we even though we've had that hot day the other day and we had we had one couple of weeks before that mm. they've been fairly short and with mm. rain in between fairly mild and some of the spring flowering perennials have taken quite a long time to fully flush mm. i mean i've watched this with well, some i've brought some dianthus in today we'll talk about later but they normally flowering two or three weeks ago and they're only just popping buds now so mm. it's been a gradual soft kind of spring which i think has been associated with cloudy skies a bit more rainfall which, yeah, sets us up well for spring, mm. I hope. Let's mm. hope it stays like this. The fear amongst gardeners or, or the, particularly the nursery trade, the retail trade, is that you go from that and then you get to the heat. a real heat straight yes. away. Mm. Yes. And, what, and like I said before, spring has shrunk and it's, then you're into 40-degree days and everyone gives up. Exactly. So, yeah, let's, let's hope that we get a decent spring this year. So mm. far, so good. Mm. Mm. Getting back to the veggie garden, I haven't planted mine yet either. And, mm. But I don't... So I'm, I, I can tend to get frosts, hmm. um, and sometimes they'll surprise you and you'll get a late frost. So I tend not plant anyway until October usually, but I've, hmm. I've just held off thinking, but I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm really going to have to get cracking with it or I'm just yeah. going to be too late potentially. I don't know. I, I, I sort of, I think that the summer goes quite long. I mean, you think yeah. our, our autumn, it the shoulder season extended. at the end of the season yeah. goes mm. so far. Yeah. I don't have a great rush yeah. anymore to plant in, in the spring because you've got a long tail. Yeah, yeah. I had one year where I, I didn't get my tomatoes in as early as I usually would, thinking exactly that, that the season, we, you know, we have a longer end to the hot season here in Melbourne, and they didn't do as well. Mm. And I thought, well, geez, maybe I, maybe I need to get them in a bit <laughs> earlier. I guess to, every year. It yeah. is, it really is. It's just totally. the vagaries of the weather. It can also be, with tomatoes in particular, it can be about, the varieties that you pick too, because mm. to some, some come earlier, some come later. Yes, you know, the cherries come quicker. The you know the big beef steaks take a while longer. But I'm every year, and listeners that have heard me in sort of March or April, I always bang on about Wapsipinic and peach is my favourite tomato. Oh, I love that one. But too. it goes, it's one that goes really long. Like it continues to fruit right the way through to May. I've so got I to know confess, got... Tim, I've never fruited that variety oh, very really? well. It always well, it's, breaks it's my heart. It's a late one. It's yeah. a late one. Okay. So it's it. it it's one of those ones that will keep... It doesn't really fully flush until the others are kind of Until finished. it's quite late, yeah. So, okay. you, yeah, so keep it in and, All right. and let it go. And I was picking fruit 
I always have, and I've right, really like, cuddled them, and I've never, I've never had a lot out of it. Yeah, and it's right. like these, these maybe two dozen delicious morsels that yeah. I get, that I get That's off okay. of it. And I look at the size of the shrub, and I go, oh, you know. <laughs> and mate, I don't know what that is because maybe it's something to do with where I am. It just mm. seems to work where we are, yeah, and okay. it is by far the biggest cropper I get. Yeah, uh, I get late in the season, um, and I get you know quality fruit out of it. Mm. So mm. yeah, these are the things you learn year in year out, I suppose. But then, then you go and put them in late. Oh, last year I put them in on the you know twelfth of November. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked, and I've got the formula. Yay! Next year and stuff. I only just took my plants out of the greenhouse and have been hardening them off in the last week. Right. Um, they've had the baptism by fire in that regard. Yeah. The whole oh, weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the world. <laughs> but they like it a bit tough, you know. I've got this theory that I don't usually, I won't usually put my tomato plants in the ground, and I'll always grow them from seed until. They're a bit stressed and throwing out flowers as a consequence. Yep. Really, I'll never, I'll never put them in the ground when they're growing, and look really healthy. You know, they okay. all, I think, I think putting them in the ground yeah. when they're a little bit stressed out is the way to do it. Well, so that you, you stress them a bit in the container before I do. you plant them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Do you think it's, that brings on the fruiting? I think I, it brings on the flowers quicker. Mm. Yeah, I, I'll generally try and put a plant in the ground that is flowering already, mm. yeah. It and thinks it's about to die. Well, basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's, but There's that's a tip, everyone. You're really cruel, Dan. Gardeners are very cruel people in that regard. I think it's the only discipline in which cruelty crosses over into virtue or something like that, really. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> many others, but yeah. It's a bit deep for something. <laughs> I thought us gardeners were nice people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, there's death in our garden. Oh, true. Compost. Yes, absolutely. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. So, Adrian, um, let's tell listeners a little bit about, okay. uh, I've introduced you as, as, yep. as Helix Australia, but yep. a lot of our, our listeners will have no idea at all about Helix Australia and what you do. Okay, so Helix Australia, we are a, a breeder uh, of new Australian native plants, specialising in Geraldton wax, mm-hmm. uh, Chamelorsium, and also Baronia, so Western Australian species. We'll do all our breeding and development in Western Australia and we're releasing new varieties onto the world market either for cut flower growers or for landscape home gardeners. And, uh, and although, although most of your growing is in Western Australia, yep. you're residing here in Melbourne. Yes. So um, I, I presume partly because of that uh, physical distance that you have, you've got this strong association with Kings Park in Cor- Perth. Correct. So the, our, we started the business a little over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I have over 30 years' experience in Australian native plants, predominantly at a cut flower level. Right. Um, selling flower, Australian native plants all around the world or flowers all around the world. But, yeah, we, as well as our own selections from our own trials in Western Australia, we work closely with Kings Park Botanic Garden. Mm. So we partner with them. And they're using, which I'm happy to talk about later, quite advanced um, science and breeding techniques to come up with yeah, totally new colours, new <coughs> flowering times, bigger blooms, mm. smaller blooms. It's a yeah, consumer-driven market, and we have to come up with something mm. new all the time. Mm. So yeah, very close with Kings Park. And then I replicate all the trial work here in Victoria. Okay. I've got a trial nursery down in Merricks. So... Historically, I had to go to Perth a lot to keep an eye on things. Now, everything that we've got on trial in Western Australia, I replicate here as well. So that, that tells me flowering time. Yep, it yep. means I can really see it. And, and I'm looking through eyes of 
is it a good cut flower variety or is it a good landscape variety? Mm-hmm. And then a new development, which again, happy to talk about, we've discovered um, an edible food uh, potential with some of our hybrids with the leaf. Yes, I'm, I'm really oh, interested really? to hear about yeah. that. Mm. So, but, um, How did you discover that? You're just <laughs> munching along one day? Uh, I'm quite a keen, yeah, foodie. Rest, I love cooking yep. and I read, I read food magazines okay. <laughs> voraciously. And uh, there was a chef in Adelaide, uh, Joxon Frillo. His restaurant is called Arana and it's, it's one of the top in Australia specialising in Australian native foods. He does a lot of work with Indigenous communities. Um, he mentioned wax flour in a recipe. I rang him up, said, what are you doing? And he came over and showed me what he's doing. And we've supplied Attica, which is okay. mm-hmm, top yes. restaurant here, yes. uh, and a number of others. So it's, it's just... How would, you, how would you describe the flavour? It's a very citrusy sort of okay. flavour. So you take the leaf, um, you use it with a, like a grapeseed oil, mm. which doesn't have flavour, mm. a bit of salt for abrasion in a mortar and pestle. And turn it into almost like a salsa verde yeah, okay. paste, mm-hmm. and you can use it um, with lamb or fish or yeah, quite a citrusy. Yeah, nice. yeah I've had chefs overseas try it, um, but the path to turning a food into a, it's got to be checked off and safety oh, yes. and health <laughs> and and that's a journey. I'm yeah. slowly. It's been used in gin. Um, I've supplied. Oh, throw anything in gin these yeah, days, won't they? True. <laughs> true. Um, Archie Rose, which is a, quite a large gin maker in Sydney, did a batch of an Australian botanical gin last year. Yes. Um, I supplied them 20 kilos and they ended up making 8,000 bottles. So oh, wow. I think I'm on the wrong end of the value chain yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I know how much you charge for your kilo per kilo. Well, no, when they're $100 a bottle at Dan yeah. Murphy's. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, they used a range. So, yeah, that's a that's a quite a small part of the business, probably mm. the research part, mm. and it in, enables me to indulge in some of my foodie <laughs> foodie loves. Does it have to be a particular variety, Adrian? We've, um, we've sort of narrowed it down. I've done some blind taste testing with chefs where I'll give them five varieties, just give them a code, and one variety jumps out consistently. It's a bit of a misnamed variety because it's called Raspberry Ripple, so okay. it was named. But that was a flower. That was a name yes, for its yes. flower. It's a beautiful mm. purpley pink. Um, that's the variety we've identified, which is available um, in garden centres and Bunnings. It, it's it is around. Okay. But um, other other varieties have zero taste or <coughs> not a pleasant taste. Wow. And so they're they're all the same species. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uncinatum mm. is is the main mm-hmm. uh, species used in breeding. Um, Megapetalum is another one. A floriferum is another one. So what, there's genes from all three of those species crossed yes, in? Yes, yes. Yeah. But uns, uh, Chamelorsium uncinatum is the probably the most common yep. uh, mm. wax flower. Mm. So, again, can talk about the plant in the garden. Mm. and uh, mm. Yeah, but wax flower is a massive global cut flower, uh, and we have growers of our varieties in Israel, in South Africa, in California, Portugal. Uh, I've just been to Mexico. We're going to set up growers there. Right. So, yeah, cup flower is probably driving the business, but, yeah, I'm doing a lot of plants as well. Okay. Pop plants. How do you find um, the the difference in, in climate between Perth and then you trying to, to reproduce it over here? Yeah, I mean, the key... Does it present problems? No, no, the main difference is just flowering time. Okay. And, and again, deferring back to cup flower, 
it's about lengthening the season. Yes. So we have growers in early regions, so north of Perth, for example. Um, we've got some trial growers in Queensland at the moment. Mm-hmm. Nirvana in the cut flower space, for me, would be having wax flower available for Mother's Day. Ah. Okay, we miss it by about three or four weeks. Mm. Right. But we've got some new hybrids coming through which are significantly early. Mm. So we throw that genetics into an early growing region. Um, and wax flower flowers on shortening day lengths and cooler nights. Mm. Okay, so we play with some of those temperature variables. Yeah. So you can't just throw a polytunnel over the top and, no, and get them to flower. No, it's no, the opposite. No. So in Israel, historically, they've used day length control, yep. um, dragging massive bits of black canvas <laughs> yeah, over right. the crop every night wow. to stimulate that day or to manipulate that mm. day length. Right. Uh, but that's very arduous and they'd much rather just buy some nice genetics, which yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, can do it from the Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And these are all field grown? All field grown, all grown on pretty large scales. Yep. So, again, yeah, it's different from, you know, a poinsettia or a chrysanthemum where you are manipulating with mm. lights and shade and whatever. You know, on 20 acres of wax, you yep. can't throw a bit of canvas over no. it. So, yeah. Mm. Are you getting dual use out of the crop? So the ones that you're growing for cut flowers are the same ones that you're harvesting the vegetative material to eat for, for uh, shipping and that kind of stuff? I mean, the, yeah, it's from the same crop, if you like. Yeah, okay. um, so just this week, um, so our cut flower crop has finished in Perth in the last week or two, and the, the crop is pruned very hard. Again, we can talk about that in a gardening sense later. <laughs> so virtually with a hedger, it's trimmed to 12 inches off the ground. Okay. And then next year that'll put on, you know, 60, 90 centimetres of length. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to the grower, can you please leave, you know, a row just for this, for the restaurant space? All right. So we've got supply over summer. <coughs> but then when we're needing cutting material, um, we take it from the same blocks. Mm. Um, typically we do cuttings in January. Mm-hmm. So new growth just hardened a little bit. Um, and, yeah, we turn that into cutting material and it's a year Tim would be well aware you know it's it's a year out I get my orders a year out from growers right and then it's another year before it's in store at the nurseries or, mm. or Bunnings mm. so wow you have to be well organized it, it does yeah and year by year each year we get a little bit more organized and the, and the demand is growing um, That's good. just the whole Australian native space is is very healthy at mm. the moment both landscape and cut flower. Mm. So when I started in exporting flowers 20-odd years ago, the majority of it was being exported overseas. That has flipped around now where most of it's being consumed in Australia. Yeah, that's so interesting. prices and demand for banksias and, and kangaroo paws and waxes and, yeah, the proteaceae gets mixed in there as well mm-hmm. into the wildflower bucket. So mm. cerurias mm. and proteas, leucodendrons, that sort of stuff. Well, of course, the breeding program has has gone ahead in leaps and bounds with Australian natives. I mean, no longer are they the old so-called straggly, mm. horrible bushes that, yep. um, you know, people used to... They got such a reputation for being. Yep. And now the varieties are just stunning and the flowers are getting larger and brighter mm. and, and um, you know, a wider range of colours and it's it's just gone ahead. You know, like crazy. Well, there was, there's a huge gene pool out there. I'm, yep. I'm sure well, everyone yeah. knows this. But, and, and I guess it's only in the last 20-odd years that 
that that's being tapped into and selected for. And yeah, and, and unfortunately, the thing we've got to be wary of some of that gene pool is sort of leaking overseas, mm. and, and in this sort of bush tucker native food space. Um, so the gentleman I mentioned in Adelaide, Jockson Frillo, he's putting together a database of all the foods the Indigenous people have, were eating, and it's something like 6,000 yeah, wow. species wow. of Australian plants yeah, Indigenous people were eating you know, millions of years ago or whatever, mm. and we've currently commercialised 20. Mm. So, you know, your, cac- your kakadu palms and, and finger limes and lemon myrtles mm. and hopefully wax flower in that space one day. Yes. So, but yeah, there's, it's unfortunately, you know, we can't protect it and yeah. people come here and yeah, the odd seed or, or nut or cutting slips away and uh, we've, we've got well, to somehow it's control. It's been happening it. for a long time. Look at yeah. the macadamia nut as yep. an example. Yep. It, it had to go off to Hawaii, I think, Hawaii before is it. The biggest it, grower. Yeah, yeah, and then it came back into Australia as yep. a commercial crop. Yep. Mm. So we're, we're it's not our strong suite, Australia. Mm. So yeah, mm. so we're operating in pretty varied, pretty wide area. Pam? Yep, fantastic. Yep. yep. Okay, I'm going to get to some community announcements. And uh, listeners, be patient. There are a few to get through, but. Uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, okay, so there's a few things on today if you haven't made up your mind what you're going to. Firstly, today is the second day of the Cacti and Succulent Society of Australia uh, having their, um, their show and huge sale. Uh, the venue is the Mount Waverley Community Centre, uh, 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley there. Uh, now, they're open 10am this morning, running through until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, children under 15 are free. Uh, there is, um, I'm not sure the price of an entry fee, um, but uh, it wouldn't be too much, I would imagine. Uh, so they'll have, um, they'll have uh, extensive displays of cacti and succulents. Uh, there'll be sellers and growers uh, to offer the finest of advice, answer all your questions. Interesting and unusual, hard, often hard to get plants and books for sale as well on the subject. So that's today at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. Now, of course, this weekend, the Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo has been running. Today is the last day of that one. Now, they've got over 40 stall holders up there. It's going to be a huge day again today, running from 10 o'clock right through until 5 o'clock this afternoon. The address is 125 Quail Road, spelt Q-U-A-Y-L-E, Quail Road in Wandon. Um, it will be very clearly signposted for that one. That's out in the Yarra Valley. Um, they'll have uh, both Jane Edmondson and Philip Johnson there as uh, major speakers, but there'll also be other guest speakers from the stallholders. There'll be demonstrations on bulb division, orchid pot, repotting, Rose pruning, there'll be talks um, by top growers on edibles, indoor plants, natives, perennials, succulents, permaculture, and uh, there'll be specialists in cacti and succulents, landscaping, permaculture, and unusual plants. And, of course, there'll be plenty of food, local wine, and craft beers. So that's all taking place there today. I should mention, too, that the, um, the Salvia Group, We'll have a stall up there as well today um, with lots of salvias there for purchase. Okay, today is also the second day of the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Spring Flower Show. 
Uh, now, that is on from uh, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock this, un- this afternoon. Uh, entry is $5. Under-14s are free. Uh, the show, of course, will take place in the Horticultural Hall there within the gardens. There's parking for the event also in the grounds. Um, there should be a good display of spring flowers. Uh, and uh, <coughs> the address, 100 Hilton Road, East Sassafras. Uh, food, of course, available there for the duration, plus a sausage sizzle. There'll be garden walks and two plant stalls, as well as... Um, Uh, some rare offerings in that one and the craft ladies have been working very hard to create some interesting bits and pieces there for show as well as a cut flower stall so that's that's all taking place uh, today up at Fernie Creek uh, well it's actually officially Sassafras 100 Hilton Road East in Sassafras also today, our good friends down at uh, Cranbourne Royal Botanic Gardens, uh, the Friends Group, have today is the second day of their plant sale. Um, it's being held within the, uh, the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Uh, they'll starting 10 o'clock, running through until 4 o'clock. Uh, of course, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is on the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. They'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots uh, priced from $3 upwards. Now, Gardevalia Festival of Gardens <coughs> is running. It started last weekend. It's on again this weekend. And also, uh, there'll be open gardens on for the Long Cup weekend, um, second, third, uh, 4th and running through even onto Tuesday Cup Day for that one. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> best idea for this one, this is all taking place down at Gippsland. If you go online, type in Gardevalia, spelled G-A-R-D-I-V-A-L-I-A, uh, the full um, list of open gardens and which ones are open for which weekends will come up. Uh, and you can make certainly make a a lovely weekend of it, particularly next weekend over the long weekend. And as part of Gardevalia, our good friends David and Merrill um, Johnson will have uh, Country Farm Perennials open. They, in fact, will be opening up, right, running right through until the 6th of November, 10 a.m. through to 4 p.m. and free entry for that one. Uh, they uh, will be providing tea and coffee with refreshments. You can take a picnic to have in the gardens. Uh, they do request, though, that you bring reusable bags or boxes if you're planning to purchase some of their plants, which they'll have for sale. And the address of Country Farm Perennials is 96 Langs Road, spelt L-A-I-N-G-S, Langs Road in Nayuk. Uh, their phone number, if anyone... Uh, Gets lost, 56284202. That's 56284202. A quick reminder that there are two open gardens open for Open Gardens Victoria today. Uh, Wingspread, which is at 1380 Myers Creek Road to Langy in the Yarra Valley. Open 10 till 4 today. Entry is $10 for that one. And Ambleside, which is at 90 Bambrook Road in Inverloch, again open till from 10 till 4.30. Entry $8 for that one, and they will also have a sausage sizzle at that one. Um, Wingspread will also have wine tastings and sales, coffee and treats, and um, some opera 
happening in the garden uh, at approximately one o'clock today. So uh, plenty to go and see for that one. Now, uh, today is also going to be the installation of the uh, letter cutting that's been taking place uh, up at Cloud Hill Gardens. Ian Ma has been there for the last week busily uh, demonstrating uh, letter cutting and uh, the piece he's been working on is actually going to be installed today. So people are invited to, uh, to pop up to Cloud Hill Gardens today for that installation or to have a chat to Ian Ma about uh, letter cutting and uh, maybe he might be... What, what's letter cutting? Uh, letter cutting in, in um, slate. Oh, okay. Uh, pieces to sit into your garden. Right, um, okay. Really quite an ancient craft. Yep. Um, apparently Ian is quite happy to chat to people as he's working and I'm right. thinking... Gosh, I don't know if Whoops. I'd want to distract him, yes. <laughs> Start again. You know, leave out one letter or you, you somehow, yeah, slip. Bad enough you see sign writers getting spelling wrong. You wouldn't want to be, I know. you know, because you it's, be it's going to be there for a long time. And going, oh, I left the E out. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but Ian Ma is um, reputedly one of the best letter cutters okay. in Australia, yes. And, and so uh, he's been doing that at Cloud Hill. Mm. For the last week, right. yes. Uh, just sitting in the garden, chatting to people oh, and doing okay. it. And he also ran a, 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 a workshop there just for 10 participants who ended up uh, creating um, their own piece to take home yeah, with them. Great. So, yeah, quite an amazing craft. So I, never, I never didn't know what it was. So yeah, I, was, right. I was picturing cutting letters out of a hedge or something. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no. Or poisoning one's... the grass with your name in it. This one's doing it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, a few more if uh, listeners can bear with me because I do need to get through some of these. Uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got their next illustrated talk coming up. Uh, <coughs> this will be given by Sandra McMahon, who's, of course, a very well-known garden designer. Uh, she'll be talking about understanding colour in planting design and the development of the colour spectrum garden at Burnley. <laughs> Uh, now, this is taking place uh, Wednesday the 30th, so that's next Wednesday, 7 for a 7.30 start. Uh, it's uh, held at uh, Main Building uh, Room 10 at Burnley Campus, which is at 500 Yarra, Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk. <coughs> Cost, uh, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $10, $20 for non-members, and parking is available in the boulevard. Uh, next Thursday the 31st will be the last day that you can do Tai Chi in the garden down at Rip and Lee. They've been running this each Thursday uh, during the month of October. Starts at 9.30, runs for an hour. Um, entry is via a gold coin donation. Uh, you get a scone and jam with a cup of tea at the end of it. And uh, you do need to uh, register that you are attending by going to the Rippenlee website, which is Estate, all one word, .com.au for that one. Uh, Australian Plants Key Law Society uh, are having their next meeting next Friday, November the 1st, 8 o'clock. Guest presenter will be Paul Ken Kennedy, who's leader of the Hakia Study Group. Now, the venue is the main hall at Raleigh Road Activity Centre, which is at 54 Raleigh Road in Maribyrnong. Uh, for further information, uh, you can ring the secretary, Anne, 
Her number is 9336-3228. Now, I haven't even got to next weekend yet, but there are a couple of gardens opening up. It is springtime. It is spring and we're busy. Everyone out there is busy. Plenty for people to do and go along and see. Firstly, um, there's going to be uh, five open gardens next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and these are all along the Warburton Highway from Seville to Warburton and uh, you can start at any of the five gardens. Now they they all open at 10 o'clock, close at 4.30 both days. Uh, Entry passes are available at any garden you go to and uh, you can visit the five gardens for $20 which is really a bargain or $5 per single garden. Children under 16 are free. Uh, This is being held by the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club. Uh, You can go to their website for details, which is simply Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club, all one word, dot com. Uh, But uh, as I said, there are five in all. um, One in uh, Seville, which is Virginia Haywood's garden, which uh, our listeners uh, will know Virginia very well. She's at 50 Linwood Road in Seville, so that's a good one to start with. There's one in Hoddles Creek, there's one in Yarra Junction, and there's two in Warburton. So uh, they do please mention that there is no entry to toilets at any of the gardens. There are public toilets available along the Warburton Highway, and no pets, please. Uh, but uh, as I say, the easiest way to find out the address of all of those five gardens is to go to their website, UpperYarraValleyGardenClub.com. Now, our good friends at uh, Open Gardens Victoria have got three gardens opening next weekend. <coughs> the first one is Osti, uh, sorry, Gusti Orth's Garden in uh, the Yarra Valley. This is... Uh, the address of this one is 20 St Hubert's Road in Coldstream and uh, this garden uh, is in its 100th year and it used to be part of the St Hubert's Coldstream winery in the 1800s. So uh, the uh, garden owner is a nursery owner as well. He's created different areas in the garden over the decades, all set amongst expansive lawns. There are lots of original trees there as well. Uh, there's a fernery, um, there's um, a rose garden uh, where he's got roses planted on mass, the sections of native planting, um, there's uh, <coughs> a Japanese garden which is the latest addition with some established magnolias as well um, and a very large veggie garden as well. So that one, as I said, is 20 St Hubert's Road, Coldstream, next Saturday and Sunday, 10 till 430 Entry $8 for that one, children under 18 free. The next one is uh, Bruce Honey, who's a landscape designer as well. His open garden, which is called Verticus. Uh, Now, Verticus means green circle. And so uh, in the garden, there is actually lots of uh, circles in many different guises that he's used as, uh, as part of the whole theme of the garden. Uh, there's lots of uh, structural plantings, including avenues of trees, formal hedges, groves of birch trees. Um, uh, <coughs> the, uh, he's had uh, wet, cold, frost-laden winters and very long, hot, dry summers combined with heavy soil. So he has had uh, 
quite a few challenges over the years, but uh, it should be wonderful. Now, the opening is also, um, there's going to be a sausage sizzle between 11 and 1, run by the CFA, and cakes and plant stall by the local Tilden Primary School. And uh, Bruce will be conducting uh, guided tours of the garden at 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock today. Now, this is a 25-minute drive from uh, the historic Hill Station Garden of Denira, and Denira is also open this weekend. So firstly, I'll give you the address of Verticus. It's at 7 Low, L-O-W-E Street in Tilden, which is near Wood End. Uh, 10 through to 4.30 today, entry $10, children under 18 free. And as I've mentioned, there'll be uh, guided tours of the garden, cake stall, plant stall and sausage sizzle for that one. And finally, Denira, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of before, um, established in 1872. It's an English-style garden and uh, it's uh, 16 acres in all. It's, it's considered of outstanding cultural significance by the Natural Tr- National Trust of Australia. Several of the trees are listed on the Register of Significant Trees of Victoria. And uh, the entire property has remained surprisingly intact after surviving the bushfires on Mount Macedon in 1983. Uh, So, again, the address of uh, Denira, Officer Lane in Mount Macedon, that'll be well signposted, 10 through till 4.30 today, entry $10, children under 18 free, There'll be a cake store by the Country Women's Association, a coffee van, and uh, as I said, only 25 minutes drive if you want to fit in Verticus at the same time. Now, once again, Open Gardens Victoria have given us uh, one free double pass to each of those gardens. If you'd like to grab one of those free double passes, do give us a call. The first three people to phone in uh, could get one to uh, one garden. Uh, the number 94190155. So give us a call if you'd like to have one of those free double passes and they will be posted out to you. Well, um, I will leave. There's a couple more, but I think that listeners have heard enough of me for a while. So (laughs) I'll get back to those if time permits. But uh, it's high time we opened our talk back to our listeners. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, We've got Tim Sansom from uh, Plants Management Australia. We've got James Beatty from uh, Horticology Gardens by Design. And we've got Adrian Parsons from uh, Helix Australia talking all about wax flowers and baronia. So uh, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. Or if you'd like to have a chat this morning on the outline, outside line, we have Robin on the outside line. Uh, so you can speak to her on 94198377. Adrian, let's get back to wax flowers. Now, you've brought in some. Let's, let's have a chat about what you've brought in. Okay, so as I mentioned, our season is sort of at the tail end out of Western Australia. So I brought in a variety called My Sweet 16, um, which is a beautiful variety. It's a small flower. It starts in white. But as the flower matures, it turns red. Oh. So it's, it's optimal when it's a mixture of red and white. Mm-hmm. Again, as it keeps maturing, it turns 100% red. Wow. So, yeah, brought, brought a bunch of that into show. Um, yeah, and, and as I said, yeah, the plants are, are available in, in garden centres 
in Melbourne, uh, predominantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, for for home gardeners, yes. Um, what requirements do wax flowers here in Melbourne need? Okay, so it's a it's a pretty hardy native plant, but it's not keen on frost. Okay, right. so it can take a light dusting of frost, but um, if you're getting a lot of minus ones and twos through through the winter, it's not going to be a happy camper. Yep. So, um, grows well down the peninsula. Um, grows well in sort of the main part of Melbourne, but up in the Dandenongs and areas like that where the soil is probably a bit too heavy. Yes. So the key things are good draining. It's native to virtual pure sand. Right. Where so is it coastal? Yes, it is coastal. So which part of WA down the south uh, coast? No, Geraldton. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sunday morning. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, lo- it, it loves, loves the heat. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're growing it in, in Israel and, and we grow it near Cape Town in South Africa. It grows very well in the Grampians regions. We have growers mm-hmm. up there. So, so heat and low nutrient, really? Yeah, really. Like, yeah. Yeah, lo- good drainage. Mm-hmm. So if your soil is... Um, Sort of borderline, you know, mounding, good mounding to, to improve that, that drainage is important. Uh, not too cold. Uh, and then, yeah, they, they can handle quite heavy pruning right. as well. So, again, going back to cut flower, we virtually butcher the whole bush every year and it puts on, you know, metre of growth, or not metre, sort of uh, 50 to 80 centimetres of growth. Mm. And, and how long does that plant last with that kind of treatment? Yeah, so typically a commercial cup flower grower will get sort of eight years out of a plant and there's nothing wrong with the plant after that eight years. Yield might be dropping or that variety is no longer in vogue. You know, they're constantly upgrading. So for a home gardener, they're going to... Home gardener, yeah. I mean, I've got growers in the Grampians who have been growing wax flower for 25 years before, before we came along and there's plants there that are yeah, 20 years old, okay. still producing. And if you let it go, it'll, it'll go to yeah, two, two and a half metres. Right. Uh, but it's, it, you, can, you can be quite harsh. Mm-hmm. You can put it on a, as an edge border. Some of our new selections are much more compact. Okay. Um, you know, I'll use a, a box hedge analogy, but, yeah, you can cut it back quite hard. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So for the average home gardener that isn't wanting it as, a, as, a, as an edging plant, yep. roughly how far would you recommend they cut it down? Um, I mean, I would. you don't have to cut it down every year. Right. Um, but it will get a little bit leggy yes, if okay. you don't cut it back. So, yep. I mean, I'd be cutting it down to, uh, you know, half a metre off the ground yep. okay. quite comfortably. And as and long as there's leaf below where you're pruning it, you, you won't kill it. You know, okay. So, so you can be quite, you can be quite you can savage. Be really, I mean, we we hack it with a with a hedger. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just long as you don't go into into the hundred percent wood. wood. Yep. Um, long as there's some leaf below. Yep. Uh, and then straight after pruning, you have plenty of water um, and and fertilizer, mm-hmm. and it'll put on all its growth sort of January till May. Mm-hmm. So you cut before Christmas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of cutting from now. Yeah, after it'll, flower it'll, finishes. it'll finish Straight flowering. Flower. <coughs> it'll finish yep. flowering. Well, in Melbourne, it's coming into flower now. Uh, WA, it's finished. So up until Christmas, prune. Yep. And then keep the water up over summer. Um, we like in the cut flower sense, we used to quote eight liters per plant, eight liters of water per plant per day. 
um, we've now upped that. Um, really? Right. Really? That is if we had the water. But uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's for optimal cut flower optimal. production. But in the yes. home gardener, just yeah, basic watering. And even if you forget to water, it'll be fine. Yep. You know, it'll it'll still go okay. Mhm. So. And and just um any sort of just a fertilizer recommended for Australian natives? Yep, just a general fertilizer is fine. Yep. Yeah, it's more about just putting on that vegetative growth over summer and then um, it will start to flower depending on the variety. In Melbourne, it'll start to bud sort of June mm-hmm. uh, and then varieties will be flowering sort of September up until early December. Okay. Depending on the variety. Yep. So. Yep. Now, the other hat you wear um, is baronias. Yes. And um, so many listeners have problems Trying to grow baronias. Yeah, I mean uh, they've got a. Sorry to be a marketing person, but no, that's they've got right. they've got a bit of an inbuilt obsolescence. <laughs> yes. that they uh, they do <laughs> they do turn up their heels. You know, anything from sort of six to eight years. So good good for us breeders and plant people because you've got to go buy another one. But yeah, don't think you're a failure. Um, I don't know why. It's just it's just in the in the genetics of baronia, that they, they just don't go forever. Yep. One of the most heady scents in the floral kingdom is baronia megastigma. Yep. And every year I buy a pot when I see them appear in the nurseries and I enjoy the smell and then I just let them die in yep. the pot. It's totally worth being profligate with every <laughs> yeah, year, yeah, I reckon. Yeah. I love the scent of that plant. Yeah. It just does things to me. Yeah. yeah, so our baronia is relatively new. We've only got two varieties so far, but a lot coming through and... We're looking for perfume, obviously, mm, but mm. also some some new colours, some darker purples, and mm-hmm. we've got one coming through. It, it's it's pure black. It's as wow. black as this microphone. So okay. uh, still working out if it's a good form and 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 uh, how floriferous it is. Yes. Um, but yeah, perfumes obviously are a big one, and oil. Um, you know, there's quite an industry in in growing commercial baronia for oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tasmania is probably the the biggest producer of, of oils. Oil for the the scent, the perfume of the oil. Yeah, yeah, for the for the sort of perfume industry, yeah, if you like. So yeah. uh, again, we're keeping an eye on any varieties that that have have a high oil mm. uh, content. Mm. That's a, that's another another channel altogether. Yeah. Now, is it true that the pink baronias are a little hardier than the brown? Um, I I don't know. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, I I don't profess to. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't know on that. But, yeah, <laughs> Megastigma is obviously the, the most well-known one. Oh, yes. The brown baronia, yes. which you can buy as a cup flower and a pot plant. Yep. Uh, but as to comparing those, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Yep. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Good. Excellent. And and marketing-wise, um, are your wax flowers and baronias, where are they distributed to? Yeah, so for, I'm not sure the listeners, but... Throughout Melbourne, all the major garden centres, Karanga Native Plant Nursery, oh, yes. um, Acorn Nursery, Garden yep. World, yep. Poynton's, yep. Um, all those big ones. All the big ones yeah. that our listeners know. Yeah, yeah and, and, our, and our good friends in the, the, the Bunnings space as well. Yep, okay. And and um, the Raspberry Ripple, if yes. people want to have a, a play with, with cooking yes. with it, um, is that also readily available? Yeah, I wouldn't say readily. No, um, but it, it, it's a variety. It could be ordered in from your local nursery. Yeah, yeah, we've got. I mean, as I said, we've got. We know our orders from growers a year ahead. Yes. And there's, we'll be distributing raspberry ripple plants to our growers next month, 
which will grow them. So right now, they might be a little bit hard to find, but mm. please ask your nursery, yep. uh, and that will filter back to our growers, and that will filter back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's the one we've sort of earmarked for the for the edible food space. You can use it as a like a salsa verde, to, you know, using the leaf yes. with oil, as we mentioned, and yep. then uh, in a gin and tonic, it's also usable. So, uh, yeah, have some fun with it. Yeah, experiment. You bet. Yeah, great fun. Okay. Tim, let's get back to uh, the dianthus reporting. <coughs> okay. Um, I guess in, this is a, follows in a similar path, in a way, to, to what Adrian's talking about. You know, we've talked before about what, what I do at Plants Management Australia. So Adrian's um, breeding wax flowers. PMA works with a bunch of breeders of all sorts of different plants. Yes. And, uh, one of the breeders that we work with is an English company called Wetman's Pinks. Pinks is the... Uh, it's it's, it's a common term. Well, uh, it's really, common it? in the UK, perhaps yes. not as common here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't kind of call them pinks. Yeah. And it's always been a bit weird to me that they have different colours, <laughs> but they're all called pink. But yes. <laughs> But they're known as pinks, dianthus, which are garden carnations, you know, so short forms of carnations. Um, so Wetman, Wetman's pinks are, and they're now known as Wetman's Plants International. Okay. They're in on the south coast of Devon in the UK. That's a, a, a breeding house that's, well, it's an interesting location where they are, actually. It's a little town called Dawlish where there's a train that runs along the coast. Right. Like, actually, literally, the train station is at the beach, yep. which looks... Terrible because the beach is covered by a train station, but it's a beautiful scene to watch this train go along. Okay. But the story was that there was a, a huge cut flower industry set up there in the late 1800s, uh, supplying Covent Garden the, and the London market. Um, they were doing violets and a number of other things, but pinks were a well, cut flower pinks, so taller pinks, carnations, were a, a mainstay of the industry there. So this company, Wetman's Pinks, set up to breed uh, dianthus. Um, and they've been, they've been, I think they set up in 1935 or 6. Okay. Uh, and it has passed through the generations to, uh, so it was a, a woman called Carolyn Whitman had the, had, uh, she sold the, sold the business a couple of years ago, but was still there until two or three years ago. So it was a 80 year, um, enterprise and it's still running under a new, new owners now. And I visited this nursery or this breeding house last year, uh, I'll describe a bit of what dianthus are to the, to the listeners, and you can see the photos that I've put on, mm. that we've put up on the 3CR Instagram and Facebook. But they're, they're like a little carnation. They're, they have a um, sort of a glaucous, bluey foliage, um, quite tough, hardy things. They're good sort of rockery plants, mm. uh, and they cope very well. In fact, they probably prefer Australian conditions to English conditions. You know, they, they like yeah. a sort of a hot, dry summer. Um, they don't take a lot of water, but they need they need some water underneath them, but they'll survive yep. the, you know, the real heat. Um, and they have these little and the buds kind of point up. They've the couple of varieties I've got here have got beautiful dark uh, sepals that open up to the to these flowers, which are frilly kind of flowers, classic carnation kind yes, of flower. Yes. And they generally have a scent. Um, and these are quite early. These ones coming out. There's not a lot of scent coming off these, but and it is quite a variable scent. Um, but when we visited the breeding house, which is a beautiful glass house set in the sort of English rolling hills, uh, it's, uh, and I will, I'll send another picture through of the breeding house. Okay. It is just a sea of flowers, mm. and it's to, and the, the sort of this really sort of heady clovey smell or scent. It's 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 quite um, it's quite a feature of dianthus. Um, 
And it's just quite intoxicating. You walk in there and it's just, wow, there's so much going on in here. It's an assault on the senses. Um, so they've been breeding these plants for 80-odd years. And you gardeners may see them around in garden centres <coughs> uh, branded as the scent first range. Scent as in S-C-E-N-T. yep. <clears throat> and that's, a, that's, that's part of the, the Wetman's breeding program where they're breeding for heavy scent. But what was interesting when we went there is that, because we, we reported these, these varieties here, and I'll talk about them more in a second, they have, they have a strong scent when we first sort of isolated them. And then we took them back to Wetman's, because uh, I'll talk a bit about how this happened in, the, in, in a second. And they, they do a rating on scent. And they said, oh, that one's got a rating five. They'd rate them from five to zero or five to one, five being the strongest scent and one being the lightest. And they were like, well, this, this year that one had a five and that one had a two. And then the following year it flipped around. Okay. So even for the breeders, the, the scent changes each mm. year. Wow. Um, so these three varieties here um, are what's called... So they, they've come off... There's a, there's a variety called sugar plum and a variety called candy floss, which already exist in Australia. They come from the Wetman's Breeding Program. These three varieties here, we've got sugar plum raspberry, sugar plum coral, sugar plum raspberry, sugar plum coral, and candy floss mauve. And they are actually what they call essentially derived varieties. So they, these, were, these came off those others. They were seed that popped up or sports that popped yep. up. These are actually sports that popped up off those varieties. So we've gone back to Wetman's and said these exist as EDVs, essentially derived varieties, uh, and we've registered them and they're now growing them back in the UK. Okay. So there's three varieties here. I've got um, Candy Floss Mauve, which is... Uh, well, it's a mauvey pink. The, the original candy floss was, I guess, uh, was, a, was a paler colour. It was almost a sort of a lolly, a lolly pale, pale pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of... This, I mentioned before it's been a late season. There's so much bud on these. In a couple of weeks, these are going to be just absolutely covered in flower. Um, uh, so candy floss mauve, which is, I guess, the frilly kind of classic carnation. Then we've got the two sugar plums both of which have a sort of a darkish colour in the, in the leaf. So mm. there's, there's a, a sort of a, a plum kind of colour run, that runs in the, in the pigment in the, in the stem and the, in the flower bud. And then they both have a, a sort of a, a, a deep eye in them. Um, one's a, a more rich, sort of more plum kind of colour, and the other one's got a bit more coral. It's interesting in the it actually goes a bit more coral as the flower ages. And that's mm. one of the great things about dianthus is mm. they actually do sort of change a bit as they age and you get the colour gradation. The first flush of flower, the second flush come through and you get some light shades. And Yeah, they're, they're incredibly giving with their flowers, yeah. aren't they? I think they're a very underrated plant in, in Melbourne gardens. You don't see them very often. No, well, they really. had, they're, they're a bit old-fashioned mm. in a way. Mm. And there was, there was a, there's a, I guess there's a stalwart variety mm. that's been in Australian gardens forever, which is Mrs. Simkins White. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and it just keeps going. It's mm. still good. Um, and there's a, one of the Wetman's pinks, or the white one called uh, Memories, which was derived from that, uh, is, was, we've raised, I think, something like $70,000 of donations through to Alzheimer, mm-hmm. right. the Dementia Foundation, yes. which, was a, mm-hmm. which was a royalty donation off the sales of the Memories. Okay. Um, but these are, yeah, they're kind of old-fashioned and you kind of don't see them, but they're having a bit of a revival. And I think mm. it's on the back, it's largely on the back of good quality genetics. Mm-hmm. And what these guys do, and they, they invest heavily in their genetic program to, you know, breeding. And you've got 70 years of breeding and you've got this huge resource <coughs> that they're working on. So new things are coming and they're being more selective. But they're also 
because they're a bit virus susceptible, what they're doing is they're putting them back into tissue culture every 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 year, basically, yeah. their whole stock, yeah, okay, so that it's coming through clean. And then the, the material that our growers are propagating off are coming through clean every couple of years. They mm-hmm. refresh them, and that's what's keeping them healthy and vibrant in the market. Because I think they kind of dropped out of the... They did mm. drop out of the market a bit on the back of just garden performance. Mm-hmm. They're sort of dropping out with virus. Carnations are... Um, like the cut flower industry is very fashion, quite cyclical, and carnations have, have been sort of out of favour for quite a while now. But um, there's been a massive resurgence in uh, gypsophila, mm. baby's breath. Yep. You know, that white filler, very common, yep. and uh, that went way out of fashion now. Mm. It's back in a big way, and maybe carnations will, will go a similar route. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, well, we're seeing what we're seeing. I mean, so... The Wetman's program has been principally around garden plants for yep. the last generation or two, but they're now getting back into cut flower. Yep. And that's in the UK, it's on the back of, it's, 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 I guess it relates to Brexit and patriotism. There's a lot of UK grown. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I'm going to follow that quite closely. So the UK are doing a lot of branding about UK they grown. Are, like yeah. Flowers are shipped all around the world. Carnations, for example. Mm. Are predominantly grown in South America. Mm. When's uh, Dianthus Boris Johnson coming out? <laughs> 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 it's very hard to get black. What's into it going to look like? Yeah, <laughs> it'll be blowing its hair in the wind. That's for sure. Oh dear. Yeah, so they're on the back of that movement, that yep. UK growing, which is very big. You know, yep. I guess it's that kind of. I don't know, patriotic, isolationist kind of thing. Mm, yep. But it's, it's a strong marketing drive. Well, yep. they've, they've got to establish their own market. Now, well, if they're going to be cut off from imports. So, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, Same's happening here with a lot of Australian growers. You're putting Australian grown mm. on, their, on their packaging. And California has got a mm. really successful Californian grown okay. just to get the message to the consumer because mm. most consumers will just assume any flowers that are in the shops are... Yeah, grown down the road, and, yep. and and they're they're not they're grown all around the world. Mm. So of any industry, floristry is really global, isn't it? The yeah, very much. Movement, uh, yeah, and people don't think that that yep. that flower stem surely it's grown down the road, and someone's just cut it. Just you know, someone's gone out there with their pinny and their secretaires, and they've got one. No, <laughs> but that's and, not how it works. And that that the pinks that brought back memories for me. I worked in uh, England. The late 80s, no, 1980s, the late 1980s, <laughs> not that old. Part uh, of the breeding program. And uh, pinks, you know, we just used to sell boxes and boxes. Yeah. Very cottagey, very old-fashioned. Mm. Um, and there's actually, yes, yeah, some growers here starting to grow that type of, we call it a field carnation. Yeah. Um, as different to a spray carnation or a standard carnation. Yeah, so, yes. But these are a lot more dwarf and compact for the home garden. Yeah, well, these, I mean, these are only, I mean, they're flowering at, what's that, about 25 centimetres tall. Yep. So Very nice. they're quite short stems, quite compact little plants. Mm. And on, in the range, the scent first range, there are a few that are even shorter, that are probably only half that height, 10 to 15 centimetres. Little mm. rockery kind of plants. Yeah. They suit cottage gardens. They're, I mean, and I guess there's, you know, you could, you could mix them amongst perennials, um, get your colour scheme right. I mean, there's, there's quite a range of colours from whites, reds, pinks, mauves. Mm. Uh, so there's there's plenty of potential in there. And mm. they're hardy, tough little plants. They are. They're really tough. Mm. I mean, I've I've had some growing in the, which I think came from um, from uh, PGA. Yeah. Well, these are growing uh, One of their PGA. little ones, which yeah. is, it's almost virtually a ground cover. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it just comes every year it's a, yeah. you know the flowers come in and it's a it's a real joy and it's totally hardy yeah. it gets the odd bit of water you know if it's really hot or mm. but 
Absolutely. But they're fantastic. suited to this kind of climate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think they're a great plant. And, of course, um, many of our suburban gardens are getting smaller. And so I think we're going to see more and more of these smaller mm. compact Balls. plants mm. coming in mm-hmm. um, to yeah, make and that demand. And for pots too, for patios and pots, you're looking for a little splash of colour, bit of fragrance, bit of old world kind of feel. You know, they're hardy as... Uh, all get out, yep. so they're, they're I had one in a pot for about three or four years, and all I used to do was cut it right back when it had finished flowering, and I could do that two or three times yep. over the summer season, yep. and it'd just be right back Keep in flowering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great plant. Yeah. yeah. No, they're great. Excellent. I love the bluey tinge uh, to the foliage yeah, that's in, in, in the smoke yeah. one. It's just yeah. very, very attractive. Well, and, they, and, it's, and that's where you're using them in a garden, and James could probably talk more about this in terms of garden design, but using mm. them, they suit... That sort of drier, mm. cottagey kind of style. They're not. Mm. They're not luscious green. They're, no. they're something where you can mix it with other bluey grey foliages. Mm. And those mm. sort of forms. I was sitting here just before thinking, imagine putting them amongst a matrix of Festuca glauca, because you would lose the foliage, but then the flowers yeah. would be... And it would look like the flower be, sits on the grass. That's right. Yeah. It would be yeah. 100% highlighted. It would be a great combination. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, I've had a query from the outside line. Um, Nellie from Collingwood wants to plant a lily of the valley tree. She'd like some planting advice, please. James? Um, I've never really grown them before, to be honest. I'm just kind of doing a quick... Yeah. Where is she? Uh, Collingwood, Collingwood, in a suburb. A lily of the valley tree. I always imagined it was more of a shade-loving... not sure what plant we're talking about. There'd be any clarification yeah. at all? Because it's a bulb, typically. Well, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> no, so no, no, no. There is there is a a common name. I'll just oh, clethra. Yeah, I know what it is. So it's a proteaceous thing. No, it's not proteaceous. What's that? I'm quite stumped with that one, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a moment. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that one. Clethra arborea. Uh, there we go. It. Yeah, you're right. Uh, look, in, it depends how, how big the... It's more of a uh, glossy shrub, if I know what clethra is. Um, not, not really a tree as such. I mean, I suppose... How do you define a tree? I was having this discussion yeah, the other day. Yeah, used on almost front hedging. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very popular cup flower actually it's grown up in the Mombolk in the Dandenongs area so mm. it likes that cooler climate and mm. heavy soil mm. and I think you can you can cut it back and keep it to a shape you like without it so becoming she's, if she's wanting to grow it as a tree yes. you know, or whether she's just referring to it as a tree but I think it would be well, successful in Collingwood no problem Dep- oh well I think it'd be fine to mm. be honest yes um yes I know I know which one she means yeah I've mm. just found it in my little flora which which is the best book I've ever had because it gives all the all the, all the common, common names, names <laughs> and then you can link it to the botanical name, okay. which is it's around the reverse order from <laughs> most gardening books, but it's fantastic when you're trying to find something. I mean, there's whole pages and pages of the same common name that all They're apply all to different plants. Yeah. yeah, which is great. But it does have it does have your your, your white little, little pendulous, pendulous bell type white flowers, bell flowers, which is probably where the, the, where the, the name that's where the name comes from. from. Yeah. Yes, and yep. and from memory, it's it's very tough, hardy. I don't think she'd have any problems in Collingwood with no, it at all. No. It'll take the sun. It'll take. Mm. The, it'll, I imagine it take quite heavy ground too. I would think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. We've got a <laughs> we've got a picture brought into us of it. But um, 
That's it. That's penis. No, that's... <coughs> no, it's not the... Talk about different plant. Yeah, it's not the pyrus. No, no, it's plethora. No. Plethora. Plethora. Plethora, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah, but I, I know the tree. I've yeah. pictured it. Yeah, I've, I've seen it in some old gardens, um, which then, you know, particularly if, if some of those gardens have been a bit neglected and it just seems to have thrived. So I, yeah, I don't think she'll have any hard. trouble growing No, it. I don't think Whether so. she'll get it or not, that's probably where to go to get it. Yeah. Uh, unless she's already got one. Um, maybe head up to the hills, maybe go and talk to Pete at uh, your minor rare plants. He's yep. the sort of guy that yes, will have something he, like that. he might have some. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. Um, I must remind listeners, uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number. Tell us how your tomatoes are going. Yes, I want to know. <laughs> but the I'm, I'm doing some citizen science. I want to find out. <laughs> okay. People are having success planting early. Okay. We've got Tim, James and Adrian in the studio this morning. So to speak to the team, 94190155. If, or if you'd like to have a chat to Robin on the outside line, 94198377. James, what have you been up to, design-wise? Uh, yeah, busy this time of year, just um, kind of keeping a lid on that spring buff that we get this yeah. time of year. Yeah. yeah, I've been raining it in a lot in clients' gardens this year. Okay. So just went around a whole lot of um, borders that I'd installed a couple of years ago and cut back a whole lot of the Nemorosa salvias that were budding up and flowering, and one client was very, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> But um, trying to trying to reduce that height a little bit and keep it in check and get it flowering along with the kind of the, a lot of the border work that I do. It's there there are two peaks that happen. It's kind of mid November and then again kind of <clears throat> late February March where those where those peaks happen and it's managing managing that kind of vegetative growth in between those stages and trying to get everything to come together in the way that you want it and, you know, getting your timing right and getting them to flower all at the same time. Um, sometimes you have to cut flower buds off of plants. Yeah. Mm. And for the more observant clients, they sometimes get home and go, well, what have you done? Mm. You know, <laughs> you've just you've taken just all that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But at this time of year, you do that to, say, the, the Nemorosa salvias, and three weeks later, you just, mm. you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to tell that you did anything at all. Yes. Um, so. Same with Nepitas, the... The cat mints. Yeah, absolutely. And they come again. Yeah. Well, it's the it's the concept that the English call it the Chelsea chop. That's yes, right. That's yeah. Nice. Well, if we translate Chelsea to this time of the year for us, spring. It'd be about now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, and the concept of the Chelsea chop is that you you're cutting back perennials, and I always think of sedums actually as for for me, mm. um, because uh, and you cut at this time of the year to you, you knock off some of the vegetative growth and mm-hmm. flower so that you get a delayed flowering to time in with the rest mm. of the herbaceous border, which is mm. the summer flowering. For me, the sedums tend to grow really soft mm-hmm. in, in good conditions, so they're in good soil. It's too vigorous for them. Yep. And they will flop over when, when, when the, the sun comes out. Yeah, yeah, when you want them to flower. Mm. Uh, so if you cut them now, mm-hmm. they regenerate again, shorter stems, more robust plants, oh, yep. mm-hmm. and they harder and flower, mm. and flower still happily. I've, I've been treating perovskia in the same way the last mm. few years. Um, I've got a small space in my own front garden, um, and to let that plant get to its full glory without any intervention, it's just too big and buffy, yeah. and mm. it just looks way out of place. So a couple of weeks ago I did the same with that, cut it back by more than two-thirds just mm. to keep it lower, and I've got it interplanted with a whole lot of um, Allium sphericephalum, the drumstick Allium, 
which just hits its peak just as the just as the Perovskia is starting to colour up mm -hmm. with all those really nice vertical flower heads. And it's a really nice combination. But if I didn't give it the chop, the alliums would just get lost. Yeah, they'd get stuck yeah, in the foliage. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. see them at all. Yes. Um, it's such hard work making a natural-looking Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, naturalism is one of the hardest things to achieve. It's, it's, it's got a, achieving that aesthetic of effortlessness and naturalism takes mm. a lot of thought and time and worry and consternation and lots of other lots of other emotions thrown in there as well. <laughs> but look, seeing as we were talking about alliums, I brought in a flower head of um, wow. an allium that I've got growing in my garden. I've had it for a few years now, and I've trialed I've trialed a lot of alliums in Melbourne over the last ten years, and they're just they're a little bit. They are fussy, but I don't like to use that word because it kind of discourages people from growing them. Um, getting, getting them to perennialise um, in our climate can be a little bit tricky, which I often wonder about because one of the keys seems to be keeping them really dry in the summertime, which you would think we wouldn't have much of a problem with here. But it's that, well, putting them amongst stuff that you're going to irrigate later on in the summertime and they'll, they'll just you know turn up their toes and rot. This is one variety that... Um, has done really, really well um, in my and uh, clients' gardens as well. It's um, Allium Purple Rain, and it's one of the few that seems to perennialise well. And not only that, it multiplies really, really well. So the first year I had them in my garden, um, I planted five bulbs, and I've got about... There'd at least be 20, 25 of them flowering Gosh. in the front garden at the moment That's after great. three years. So yeah. they tend to they tend to multiply very quickly. Mm. Um, but them and the them and the drumstick allium are the two that I've had the most success with perennializing. Um, I've grown all a lot of the others successfully, but haven't really had them beyond more than two years or some of them even one year like you know your big impressive ones like gigantium. They're they're quite tricky to keep alive with any sense of longevity over the years. Um, but what did you put down to summer irrigation? I put down to summer moisture, to yeah. be honest, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, I mean, when you think about you know, all, the, all the resurgence in interest that um, vegetable gardeners have had in garlic over the last five or six years and you think of the conditions that they like, well, these, these are of the same family, you know. Yeah. They, they enjoy similar conditions. They come into active growth mid to late winter, um, they leaf out a lot over late winter, early spring, and then early to middle spring, the foliage starts to die off and they start to send up their, their scapes. Um, so, so in that regard, they're a good plant to grow because I've never supplementary irrigated them when they've been in active growth because they grow at that time of year where we usually have plentiful rain anyway. Um, so talking about a plant that's climatically suited to Melbourne conditions for that time of year. Um, they you've, got really pick the, you've got to pick the friends for it. You do. In the garden, you they're going to do, do that. Yeah. And they kind of lend themselves to a, uh, I guess, uh, they, they lend themselves to a, a lush background in a way, mm. like, as a backdrop, because they're, they're so spectacular. I mean, the, well, describe the flower. It looks like a firework. Yeah, so it's like it's at the size of a, a softball, I guess, um, um, a spherical inflorescence, but it's a it's an umbel, um, and it's got hundreds and hundreds of tiny little individual flowers, um, like you would see on a garlic scape or a leek or something like that. But the but the inflorescence is much more open, um, and it does look like a firework. It looks like an exploding firework. Mm. And when you've got quite a few of them in the garden. 
They look really good. They make a great statement. Um, I've been growing them in my front garden right along um, the footpath edge, which is kind of dicey because if yeah. someone walks past, I was going to say, the yeah, look of it, they're, the they're last. just, yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's never happened yet, which yeah. I've been surprised and delighted by. Um, but I've got them growing amongst a whole lot of um, Derwentia perfoliata, uh, Veronica perfoliata, I should say. I'm using the old name, which I treat like a herbaceous perennial. Um, and at the end of summer, it gets chopped down to the ground with everything else. And then amongst five of those Veronicas, um, I've got these alliums planted. And at this time of year, the foliage on the Veronica gets about two-thirds of the way up the height of the flower. Um, so the flowers look like they're poking above it. Um, and they combine really well too because the colour of the foliage on the Veronica and the colour of the foliage on um, the Allium Purple Rain, they're very similar. So even though there is still a little bit of foliage on the Allium um, as the flower is hitting its full stride, it's generally hidden very well by the, by the Veronica foliage um, because they're of a similar colour. Um, but the combination of those two things together look really, really good. Another good way to use it... Um, I've got a whole lot of uh, low grasses in a client's garden um, and they're all popping up and flowering amongst them at the moment. Um, the, the, the bottom of the foliage can look a little bit untidy at this time of year, so growing them amongst stuff that's going to obscure that mm. to some extent is generally a good way to go. So um, you want, you want because the that scape is, what, about 30, 40 centimetres high? Yeah, so, so you want foliage that's going right. to finish at about... 20 to 30 centimetres to let it so you, sit above. You've got to be careful, yeah. And that was that was the it was a bit of a gamble when I thought, well, maybe I could try growing them amongst the Veronica um, because they'll get they'll get much bigger than that. But um, that problem solved with a pretty hard cut down to the ground yep. once a year yep. with those anyway, um, and it stops them getting too big and buffy for the spot that they're in as well. Mm. But they combine really, really nicely. Um, I think they'd be wonderful with the lime green foliage too underneath. They absolutely would, yeah. yeah. Something like Salvia Icterina or something yes. like that would look really good as a contrast with it too. Fantastic. That, that um, tricoloured sage. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so look, once these are done, and these will be good for another. Oh, they'll be good for another month or so in terms of colour. But then the flower heads, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get swamped by the Veronica in my garden, but in some clients' gardens that I've used them, they'll persist for another couple of months after that with the shape of the seed head. So good kind of long-term value plant. But, um, yeah, it's got to, they've got to be in a spot that you don't give a huge amount of water to in the summer months. Um, and Adrian, are they used in cut flower at all? Yeah, Allium giganteum is quite yeah. a popular cut flower. Mm. Um, sort of yeah, summer, mm-hmm. December, January mm. sort of harvest. I know one grower up in the Mombolt region. Mm-hmm. So florists doing, you know, big hotel yeah. Oh, yeah. foyer mm. that can grand, grand displays, height yeah. sort of thing. Because yes. uh, Gigantium flower heads are... Twice the they're size of that. Yeah. They really so they're huge. kind of almost, what's that, like volleyball size? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're yeah, talking sporting parlance. <laughs> <laughs> the cut flower variety, it's similar to that size. Mm-hmm. The, the softball is yeah, a right. very good analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, but great plants and tips for alliums as well if people want to grow them at home in terms of sourcing them. Um, things like Allium giganteum, even, even Purple Rain, um, when this first came on the market, the bulbs themselves can be incredibly expensive to buy. So expensive that most people look at the price and go, no way. Yep. So as soon as a grower um, will start posting their sale items, if you wait a little bit, you'll get them in a little bit later than is ideal, but I've planted a lot of them that way and found that they've grown absolutely fine. 
um, they'll get heavily discounted in the in the end of season sales yep. with online nurseries and things that stock them. So yep. instead of paying thirty eight dollars a bulb, you know, you'll get three for thirty eight or something okay. like that in the in the so sale well worth season. And yeah. yeah, and the thing about them is one, I mean, they look beautiful as a specimen, mm. but in a garden context, one's odd. You, yeah, you, no, you, you do want you, you want, want more of them. You want, yeah. you want them to sort of repeat a bit, you know, even if it's three. You know, yeah, you start there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We'll get three of these and they'll happily multiply mm. um, over the years. Yep. Yeah, mm. it was one of the, the the only big flowering allium that I've ever grown that has multiplied really, really well over the years. So it comes highly recommended by me. Yep, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, we best get to a couple of our callers. First up, we're going to our good friend Alex out in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Hey Pam, and it's wonderful. I think this morning's program is a great example of the wonderful subjects you have and the fabulous guests that you encourage to yeah. get up early and come <laughs> in and talk to us. Thanks, Alex. And uh, the, the native flowers, the Australian flowers in the cut flower industry, it's a, a fabulous topic. You know, I know it's been going for many, many years, but boy, it's good right now, isn't it? Oh, it certainly but, is. Uh, that produces the question. I hope that I live long enough to hear Australians calling Australian plants Australian. And, uh, you know, we've people around the world have stuck up for their districts with champagne and cheeses and things like that being given the local name. And yet our cut flower industry still seems to refer to natives as though proteas and leucodendrons all belong. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering, is there any future for this? And the the plants that are sold overseas, are they sold as proudly Australian plants or are they just bundled in with all the rest? I've got nothing against exotics. I'm not ringing to complain about them, but I am keen to see Australian plants recognised. Yeah. Hi, Alex. Thank you for calling in. Um I hear what you're saying and, and the, the whole proteaceae issue being bundled in with our uh, wildflowers can be a bit sensitive for some people. Globally, these flowers, they're not referred to as Australian. You, your average consumer in America or Holland or whatever, they probably consider them a, a wildflower. Um, that's, that's the generic term. What would they call a wax flower? They call it wax flower. So wax flower, but yeah. not the Geraldton wax. Not flower. Geraldton wax, yeah. and again, your average consumer wouldn't wouldn't know where it's derived from. Our business, we're slowly addressing that in trying to brand our product, um, even though it's being grown not necessarily in Australia. So we grow in South Africa, and they send that to Holland, uh, Israel the same, America. So it's. Uh, we, we want to have an Australian brand on, on the product, even if it's not, not grown, not grown, grown here. Yeah. And I'm quite happy if proteas are sold here as South African. That's fine. And it's interesting that you say, you know, we talk about the general consumer. I think we've got to educate them. The Australian Plant Society has just had a, a massive conference in Albany, and there were five people from the United States who travelled over to attend that conference and I think that's an indication that there are people around the world who are interested in our plants. They're so different from mm. Northern Hemisphere plants. Oh yes. Well cut flowers, Australian native cut flowers Alex, sales at the moment are, are booming so the 
the message is getting through to the consumer. Um, the colours are striking. The vase life is, you know, put a, put a Banksia next to a, a rose or a lily and uh, we'll take the Pepsi challenge any day. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, the, the consumer, enough. they're not cheap. Um, Australian native flowers are sometimes double, triple a bunch of carnations or whatever. But, yeah, the vase life is, is you know, two to three weeks and often you can dry it afterwards as well. Mm. So, yes, yeah, I think yes. the consumer is on board. It's great to hear you being positive about Australian plants. Terrific. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have Ken out in queue. Good morning, Ken. Oh, good morning. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'd like to talk about the gentleman wax, please. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, right, okay. Um, I, was talk, um, I was interested in the, the gelatin wax in as much as um, um, the first large flower gelatin wax was bred here in North Caulfield. Oh, really? What, um, what was that called? It came up from a seed. Okay. Uh, and um, it was Jack, uh, uh, <coughs> Jack Seaton, uh, who was the first uh, uh, president of the uh, Growing for Australian Plants, uh, Society for Growing Australian Plants. Um, and that was in about 1964-65, I think, when that uh, when he got that seed up, that one seed. Okay, very good. Uh, and uh, that that was the start of that very large flower gelatin wax we have today. Okay, interesting. Thanks for that, Ken. Yeah. Okay. And um, and it's great to hear that uh, <coughs> things, uh, things are happening in in that uh, in that field. Mm. Oh, I think it's wonderful. Okay, yeah. thanks for your input. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That number, if you'd like to call in, as I mentioned, we're running through until 9.15, so you've got uh, oh, a good 20 minutes or so if you'd like to ring in and uh, ask a question or make a comment. Uh, we have Tim Sansom, James Beatty, and Adrian Parsons in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you. The number, 94190155 or to speak to Robin on the outside line, 94198377. Okay, uh, what's happening in your own garden? Because you've been doing major changes mm -hmm. this year, haven't mm -hmm. you? Yeah, absolutely. So how's that going? Yeah, really well. And um, I, I said last time that I was wanting to be, you know, stingy, low to no water this yes, year. Yes. And um, I thought I'd be, I'd be really tested with that, with the hot weather that we had this week. But... Um, no, everything everything was quite resilient and looking good. Um, I had a lot of uh, a hell of a lot of um, sorry, I just had a mental blank. Uh, tiger lilies coming along in the front garden okay. this year that were a new addition. Um, I'd grown some uh, in pots in the backyard, which gets belting north facing sun um, over the previous couple of summers, and they're done really well. So I thought, well, why don't I put them out the front? You know, they seem to be quite good. I was worried that they would get a bit burnt um, over the last little bit of hot weather that we've had but they've all been yeah really stoic and the whole thing couple of things it's one of those things when you have hot weather and a plant collapses or it wilts and people think oh god i've got to i've got to go and heat the water on and people might stand out there for a great length of time and and lavish a lot of water on a particular plant um, in those situations you know plants plants do have a thing called permanent wilt point that they get to mm -hmm. that when they do wilt um, they'll get to a point where they won't recover from that. But a little bit of wilt on a hot day that's an aberration in a, you know, a slow to warm up spring is not necessarily a huge problem. 
Um, it just means that the plants have this mechanism for conserving water where they basically, you know, shut down their transpiration. Um, and it's it's a it's an interesting adaptation, but, but just because something's wilting, it doesn't mean you have to go and heap a whole lot of water onto it. And you'll oh, find yeah. once once the afternoon shade comes over, yeah, you actually find those back. plants just perk up again. It's yeah. so soft. Oh. After the... I mean, it's been pretty cold mm, and mm, cool. I mm. mean, one or two warm days, but I was looking at some hydrangeas the other day that they were copping a belt of sun mm. just as the sun was going through past the tree and they were wilting and looked terrible. Uh, but the soil underneath was moist. wet. It was yeah. Yeah, right mm. through more water and I'm going to drown it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So water's not the answer. Maybe misting the top if, you know, if, yeah. you're, if you're really particular. Yeah, or if you're worried shading them with a bit of shade yeah. cloth or something like that, you know. But, but I... And, and, and I looked at it a couple of days later, and yeah, some of the margin had sort of crisped off. Yeah. Um, but the, the other leaves mm. are coming through quite happily. It's not a disaster for the plant. So. And going back to tomatoes that we were talking about before, in the summertime, I'll only ever water my tomatoes when they look like they need it. If they're growing, You're if, hard if, they're, if they're turgid <laughs> and they're and they're looking good, um, I'll, I, I just no, you're not getting any water because again, mm. it seems to push them to flower. Well, and yeah. to fruit. Well. Tomatoes in particular, inconsistent watering. Mm. You know, if you flush them with heaps of water and then drought them mm-hmm. in, in your hot spells, that's when they split. Mm. That's, yes, that's, so of you, course. You, you kind of want to just keep the moisture at them before it comes rather than throw heaps at them. Mm. That's right. Uh, that's when, right. When, when they're looking gone, you know. Mm. Mm. While we're talking tomatoes, um, uh, Yvonne uh, has rung in wanting to know the name of the tomato that was mentioned earlier that was the late cropping one. Uh, Wapsipinican peach. So Wapsipinican, I think it's a, might be a it's an North American, American yeah. province. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Wapsipinicon. <coughs> it's also known as Golden Peach. All right. You can get seeds from the Diggers Club. Okay. If not seedlings. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. But a good fuzzy little number. Yeah. And it's, and got, it's got a real umami to it as mm. well. It's and a really delicious tomato. Mm. The peach name comes from that fuzz. It's, it's, because it's, of mm. the fuzz. It does have yeah, a slight yeah. sort of... Not no, it's not a fur because it sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, they're sort of a, a dusty, um, yeah, they're not shiny red. They're a, a, a golden yellow colour. In fact, some of mine had a almost a, a red or a dark pink shoulder on them. Oh year. really? I've never yeah. seen that on that variety. Okay. So I picked those fruit oh. to save my seed from. Yeah, okay. So. Tim's wet to see. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but they're really one of the most perishable tomatoes that you can grow. Yeah, when you when you pick them off the vine, they are so super succulent and mm. juicy, and yeah, Gotta have them there, one of the most delicious varieties. Mm. That and one flame are my two favourites, really. But yeah. I always find one flame a bit more of a reliable cropper for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah, and, and it's like regional, like you say. You know, it just depends where you are, what does well. Yes, for the Melbourne metro area, one flames. Mm. Personally, one of my mm. one of my best every year. One that's in always on my rotation. Okay. Yeah, I always yep. try a few different ones every yep. year. But yep. um, yeah, Barry's Crazy Cherry is one that I'm going to be trialing this okay. year. Okay. we go. So. All right. Whenever a word prolific appears in a tomato, it wasn't crazy berries. Like well, Barry's crazy. Barry's crazy, crazy. No, Barry's crazy cherry. I think Barry came first. Good. Yeah. So he's not yeah. crazy. No. <laughs> cherry. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, okay. Like you should be selling TVs. Now, James, one uh, one of our listeners has reminded me last time you were in the, on the program, uh-huh. um, you mentioned a spray. 
Um, oh, yeah. Uh, a clay spray. Oh, for my that, citrus. That was working, yes, for yeah. your citrus gall wasp. Yep. And listeners want to know all about it. They've yeah, okay. had quite a few oh, right. ring in. So. Okay. It's a product called Surround. Um, and the, uh, well, I don't know if it's the only place that you can get it. I'm sure it's not, but it's the, the place where I got it. I got it from Hoogie's hardware store in Yarra Glen. Um, it's, it was originally developed as a, as a um, sunburn protectant. Yes, that's the word um, I was um, But some growers who were using it on citrus in Australia also noticed that it was a very good kind. It's like a prophylactic to keep um, citrus gall wasp off your citrus. Um, you do have to apply it pretty regularly. Onto the stem? Onto the... Onto the I usually concentrate on that year's and last year's growth, anything that's a bit thicker that gall wasp wouldn't usually lay their eggs in anyway, you don't have to worry too much about. Um, but by the time you've gone around a tree and sprayed the tips, you effectively have gotten, you know, looks like you've gotten 100% of the tree. Mm. But you don't have to be too worried about getting right in amongst the canopy. It's really just that current season's growth and the last of the previous season's growth that is attractive to the gall wasp. So you've got to make sure that's covered. Right. Um, so the older wood doesn't matter because the, the gall wasp go in at soft wood, don't that's they? That's right. That's yeah. right. They're not, they're not going to bother with anything older than that. That's, mm. that's well and truly hardened which, off. Which confuses people often with gall wasp because the galls don't really show up until the wood's until hardened. Until the wood's yeah, hardened. Yeah, until the gall right. appears. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So it, it, you, you think, oh, I've got to treat it back here where it's mm. happening, but it's actually in the new bits mm. where, it's, where the new infestation is happening. That's right. Mm. That's right. And look, aesthetically, it doesn't look brilliant because it does look like some graffiti vandal has come in and just spray-painted your tree white with spray paint. Yeah. Um, but it's highly effective. Um, I, I wanted to establish a citrus hedge in my own garden when I redid the back a few years ago. And the first year after planting two different varieties of citrus um, in that hedge spot... I had so much gall wasp the following season that I had to prune out all of the previous season's growth. And like it, even, it even precluded the doing the stem scrape in the hope that you could then you know, grow on afterwards because there was that much of it. Mm. It was on both sides of the stem, and I thought, well, if I do that, it's just going to completely sever the cambium. I'm just going to have yes, to exactly. cut it all off. And, yep. and it broke my heart, and I thought, well, maybe we're not going to grow citrus in that spot because it seems to be one of those problems that's worse in the urban environment as well. Mm. Um, I go to people who have places in the bush and... No well, they don't have nearby neighbours yeah. who aren't controlling That's right. It. Don't take there's one tree there's in a neighbourhood. There's much more, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and citrus is one of the most popular things in yeah. Australia. That's right. Know? And it, the pest itself is a native pest. It never used to come this far south. But now that it is, you know, citrus is so lovingly grown in Australia, um, their range has developed massively. Um, but look, this product is very easy. It's very easy to get, relatively easy to get hold of. It's extremely easy to apply, um, You've just got to mix it up in a sprayer. Um, you've got to wash your sprayer out afterwards, otherwise it gets so clogged. Quite, so what, what actually is it? It's a type of um, cowlin clay. It's okay. used in cosmetics and things like yeah, okay. that. But so it's, it creates it's, a film. It's a protective it, absolutely film. Absolutely it does. So yeah. when, you, when you spray it on, it looks just like wet water that's a little bit a little bit opaque. But yeah. then when it dries, it goes, it goes proper white, kind yeah. of stark white. Um, and... 
The so does, does it? Sorry, does it come as a powder? It comes. As, it comes as a powder. So it's fairly. You, you mix it in a fairly dilute form. You need quite a lot of the powder. I can't remember what the mixing rate okay, is. Okay, but um, it's on the. But container. yeah, that's right. But yeah. you buy it in a bag that looks like a massive um, rapid set concrete bag. <laughs> but it, but it weighs nothing. You know, yeah, right. it takes up half the back of my car when I when I buy it. Well, <laughs> it's one of those things that I'll probably only have to buy once, and I'll probably be passing it down to my children if they <laughs> to buy so much of it. Um, but look, it really works. Um, the, 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 only, the only caveat to that is that you do have to reapply it, especially at this time of year. Once we get into late spring, um, early and middle summer, you don't have to be so insistent because the pest is less active at that time once yep. we get into that really, really hot weather. Yep. But we're in kind of prime um, citrus gall wasp territory at the moment, so I'm applying it once a week. Um, at least, and if it rains, I'll, re- I'll reapply it after the rain as mm-hmm. well. Um, and one of the other bonuses that I've found with using it, it's been two years now I've been applying it, um, is that when we get into that really, really hot time of summer, um, when a lot of citrus will have a bit of a break in growth because it is just too hot for them to keep growing, yep. um, my citrus at home and ones that I grow for clients will actually actively keep growing throughout that really hot period because okay. the original purpose that the product was developed for was, for the was sunburn. to keep sunburn yes. at bay and in this orchard is why situations. We see those, the, the white painted citrus trees in the front yards in yeah, that's, urban Melbourne. That's, that's right. Which is a cultural practice that yep. goes back. Yep. Yes. Which was more about, and it was often on the western or northern side of mm. the yes. tree to keep mm. the sun off. Yes. That's so right. it's, it's doing that. It's doing well. exactly the same thing. And it's done a lot in thing. Europe as well. Yeah. Yes. And it's the kind of product that if you're looking to apply to do the, the, the trunk painting kind of thing, it, it has the same effect and it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit more kinder to the environment than a, than a water-based paint, I guess, mm-hmm. because it's just a clay product. That yeah. Just goes down into the soil afterwards. But, yeah, very easy to apply. Um, looks atrocious but highly effective is probably the best <laughs> summing up of it that I can think <laughs> Turn of. Turn your tree into a sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Surround. Surround, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, so Hoogies in Yarra Glen definitely sell it. I'm not sure about well, other people can people can um, hop into their so search it's, engine. It's, it's um, usually for more commercial it's applications for, if for, you're buying massive bags. Well, so that, so you're sort right. of your, your local... Um, produce store, or uh, we, we we're they can probably order it in yeah. for you Maybe as well. You could decanter yeah. off some uh, some small bags. Yeah, yeah. get a few fresh bags. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know that's going to go down really well, yeah. isn't it? I'll have the yeah. feds knocking on my door in no time at this rate. Okay, excellent. Um, now a couple more uh, queries that I should get through. Uh, now Kerry in Port Melbourne has got a couple of eucalypt uh, queries. Firstly, uh, Silver Princess, um, should the ground be prepared before she plants one? It really depends on what the ground is, doesn't yeah. it? Like it does, if she's got a concrete slab, know. I'd say yes. yes. All we know that is that she's in Port Melbourne. She's in Port Melbourne. So we see. It's probably quite soil. sandy. Yeah, that, that sounds... Yeah. If probably she's be in, fine. Probably fine. Mm. Yes, okay. And her other query, uh, Eucalyptus uh, Purple Patch. Can anyone tell her where to find it in Melbourne? I'd, I'd be phoning up Karanga. Yeah, of all places. Yes, yeah. because they, they can order it in if they mm. haven't got it in stock. Mm-hmm. But that would be the, the best port of call for that one, I would imagine. And uh, George from Preston has a small green hooded orchid. He doesn't say what it is. Would like to know how long it will live, um, how to care for it, should it be in a pot or in the ground. So I presume he's got it in the ground. Well, I don't know. 
green so green hooded. Is it a is it Terra stylus, one of the native? We don't orchids, know. Or? He simply said it's well, if a it's a native, a little ground orchid, orchid, I'm imagining it's in the ground. Yeah. I would imagine. I'm, I'm, yes. They, it's they probably native in the bush. to his area. If I'm not sure if he's sort of got a remnant patch in mm, Preston, mm. that would probably surprise me. Mm, would yeah. surprise me as well. Um, I've got I've got Terrastylus nutans growing on my nature strip, which I planted there. Yeah. Um, it leaves out every year and always gets to a stage where it's just about to flower, and then it doesn't go so well. But of all of the native orchids that I've seen grown, they grow fabulously in a pot. I was at Cranbourne Gardens about a month ago and their little orchid area that they have under the visitor's centre there, they had several pots of several species of Terrastylus mm. growing really, really well. Mm. So, I don't know. If, if, you've got, if you've got a good spot for it in the ground, um, and what, growing those terrestrial orchids in Australia well in a garden situation or in the ground is really quite tricky because I think there's a whole complexity of fungal associations happening there, which is why you don't see them persisting very long outside of remnant bushland patches. Mm. And me trying to re-establish them in, mm. a, in a nature strip situation that's 100% indigenous grasses and herbs and things, I thought maybe I could have hit the right balance to have them grow really well. Yeah. They, they haven't died. They're definitely persisting, but they've never flowered mm. really well as I they would in a I think it's going to be much better protected in a pot <coughs> because yeah. don't forget that, that for, for, for some of these... Um, little bulbs and things. The worst enemy is the garden fork mm. because once they've died down, you forget where they are or that you've mm. even got them in there. Mm-hmm. So unless you've got a protected like rockery area, I, I yep. personally would, would put it in a pot. I yeah, me too. It would be much too. safer. And you can, that way you can keep your eye on it and mm. nurture it along. And a lot of the Australian native orchid enthusiasts will recommend um, casuarina leaves as a mulch on top of pots right. that you have terrestrial orchids in. Yep, um, okay. So if you've got any of those around the neighbourhood, snip off a bunch and chop them up and yep. put them down as a mulch on top. Yep, excellent. Um, Anne has run, rung in to say that uh, she's uh, seen the clay for sale at Northcote Nursery. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. So there you go. So we don't so have to go all the way to Yarragon. No. See, they've portioned the white powder out. Yes, they've yeah. portioned yeah. it out. So, so it you know, means you're not make sure they haven't cut it with bag. anything, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's good Tell to know. So um, thanks, Anne, for that information. Yeah. Um, Adrian, let's get back to... to um, to your plants, particularly to, you know, if people are interested in getting hold of um, yep. some of the, the wax flowers or even the baronias that, that you do have, uh, can they jump online? You do have a website. Can they look at your catalogue range of what you have available? Yeah, so the, the website helixaustralia.com.au, so all our varieties are listed there with a good, good picture of the flower. And most of those, not all, are available at, at garden centres at the moment. So uh, okay. baronias, baronias are a crop that come and go. Nurseries like to stock them, bud, flower, they sell very quickly and yep. they're gone, whereas mm. wax can stay on the shelf a bit longer. So, yeah, Karanga, Garden World, Poynton's, Acorn, all the big nurseries, all our waxes are available at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're not... Please uh, harangue the retailer and tell them to load up. So, uh, yeah, it, it's peak peak trade time at the moment. Okay. All our growers are, yeah, are crunching through the wax pots. So. But you do have quite a range. How many have you got all together? We've currently got, so we when we develop a new variety, we protect it. It's called plant breeders' rights. Yes, sure. So we have uh, about 
20 varieties protected at the moment. Okay. Uh, I've just this week named uh, five new ones. Wow. And it was interesting to hear James talk about Allium Purple Rain mm. because we're going to name one of our new purple waxes Purple Rain. Oh, oh. That'll be interesting. We've yeah. just done lavender as Purple Rain. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> so, uh, oh, the problem with common well, names. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but they'll be yeah probably two or three years out from, from hitting the, the garden centre yep. market. Yep. So, but yeah, as but you said, if, if people go to your website, um, they can see really excellent photographs of each one of these varieties. Yep, very nice photos. And yep. um, yeah, we have a newsletter we do sort of every two months. Okay. Uh, more a trade-type newsletter, but uh, uh, people can jump on and uh, yeah, happily share what we're up to. Mm. Okay. Great, okay. great. Now, Tim. Oh, yeah. Um, same goes for the Dianthus too, by the way. All the local garden centres, this is the time of the year when they're out and, and about. Yes. So if, in, if your nursery flower, hasn't got so them, ask hard. Ask yes. where are those wonderful, <laughs> where's sugar plum raspberry? It should be in your garden centre. Um, the other thing I was just going to touch on before we finish is, uh, this is not something I have an association with, no, but I think it's fine. a great idea, is the uh, Great Aussie Backyard Bird Count. Oh, yes. Which is on this week. It finishes today. Today is so the this, last day. So this yep. is um, something where you can hop on, you can you can download the app or you go onto your, your computer or whatever. Uh, and it's basically people get to the opportunity to contribute to a, a research project, which is... How many birds? How many birds are in Australian gardens? Mm. So you register where you are, um, and it, or it can geolocate where you are, and then you sit there for a 20-minute period and count how many birds <coughs> you can see from your backyard. You enter it in. Uh, I was just having a look this morning. They've had over the last. So it's been open since for a week. So it closes today. It ends in 14 hours. Uh, they've had 87,000 checklists submitted, mm. and total birds counted is just under 3 million. Okay. Gosh. So this is the the Aussie backyard bird count. It's run by BirdLife Australia. Yep. And I think it's a face, great thing. It is. I'm, it is. It's, you know, it's gardens are about plants and gardens are about sure. people, but they're also sure. about the ecology we're around. Yeah. And what a fascinating thing mm. to see what birds are coming into your garden. The app allows you to identify birds too, so it's got pictures and descriptions oh, and tells you if you know if you if you're picking this one, maybe not for you because that one's from Kananara. So yes, <laughs> you know, it kind of guides you a bit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, terrific. Um, uh, terrific idea, which I they've, they've been doing for a few years now, and then they, they publish have. the results, and you can go and That's see. That's right. You can actually even go on to the, into the app. You can have a look in your local area at where other people have done their counts and how many species they got. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating. And if you don't have a, a you know a, an extensive backyard or anything, you can go to your local park. If you're down the beach, you can go down to, you do it wherever to the you beach, are. wherever you are. So yeah. it can be your local environment yeah. area. Yep. Um, or, as you say, just in your backyard for 20 minutes. I think 20 minutes is their sample size. Yep. Yeah, Which so is great. That's not a hardship. Just take a no, cuppa out with you. It's not hard at all. Get a biscuit and a cuppa. <laughs> yeah, and grab a cold have beer. an excuse to yeah. sit in the garden for 20 minutes. <laughs> no, it's a great idea, and, it's, and it is a chance to be a part of citizen science. Mm. It's wonderful. And, and in, in fact, there's a woman who's brought out um, a book based on uh, these last two years of research all about um, birds in our backyards. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just... just the information that's coming is, is incredible. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it's great to just sit there and watch them. I do it in my garden. I watch the kookaburra dig up worms. I watch the butcher birds come flying in and out. And what what little birds are coming to flowers and things like yes. the Geraldton wax. Is, you mm. know, they're, they're, that's habitat that the little the, the wrens and things love to be in amongst. There's heaps going on. Mm. So are they interested in, in what they're coming to? 
Like not, you don't record that? It's purely, yeah, purely it's which, what how are. many birds yeah. and what they are. But that's up to, you know, when you're sitting there, you you notice where they are. Yeah. And, and I guess it, it, what I like about it is it tunes you in to, to even right. not just this 20 minutes, but the rest of the year looking at what's going on. Well, and then you've got the opportunity that next year when you do it again, you might be able to see if you've actually managed to attract more birds and yeah. a bigger variety into your garden than mm. what did you And you know you? what they are. You're like, what was that one with the spot? No. Yes, exactly. Now, it's a way to getting to, yeah. to understand and know the names of all your birds. Or what the call is too. And this, and this time of the year, the, the dawn chorus is beautiful. Oh, but, it's stunning. And half of them, I don't know what they are. Yep. I, you know, I, I, I hear them, but I don't know what they are. Mm. Um, and so there are other uh, applications where you can actually listen to bird calls. Mm. I'm waiting for the one where you can record the call and it tells you what it is. Bird ah. Shazam. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I'd love that. Because <laughs> more often than not, you hear them and not see them. Yeah, yeah. you can do it with frogs. Yeah, you can. You can. I have seen yes. that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm. Well, we have run out of time for another week, would you believe? Gosh, Sunday morning seems to go very quickly. I have to say a big thank you to the team. Adrian, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks very much, Pam. Um, and as I say, Helix Australia, if people put that into their search engine, yep. have a look at the website, have a look at the wonderful photos of the wax flowers and the baronias. And uh, they're all, as you said, they're all out in nurseries right now. It's yep. prime time for them. Good on shopping. You. Good on you. Okay. A big thank you also to Rosemary and Robin who've been handling all the phone calls uh, this morning. Naturally, we will be back again next week. So uh, 7.30, of course, is the time to tune in. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.